Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Hey, welcome to Weird and Feared, a, well, barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. All right. Nobody could see that, but I was pointing at him. Yeah, you were yeah. very aggressive about your that. Your world. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's expand it. All right, here we go. Zach, my dear friend, how are you? I am well. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, me too. I got a question for you. Are we in America? Last I checked. Yes. All right. We are in America. So I'm going to begin with a very American realization. Because to you non-American listeners, perhaps those listeners residing in the United Kingdom, you already know what I'm about to say. In fact, you probably do too. But no. today I learned something. Oh. T-I-L. Today I learned something today. That may just be a Nick realization, but I realize it nonetheless. Okay. All right. Today I learned that the word pub, I learned what it's short for. Public house? Public house. Didn't know that until today. Oh. I had this whole combining, well, we'll combine it with yesterday too when I was putting this together. But, you know, <laughs> as, as of now, I just learned what that meant. I was yeah. like, oh, it makes sense. Didn't it's know good that. realization. Yeah, so we're going to go, we're going to go deal with that just a little bit. You know, and it also stems from the older term, alehouse, mm-hmm. back in the day. All right, so we're going to deal with um, just a little bit of pub history right now. Cool. Just a little bit. When the Roman Empire collapsed in the West and Roman influence left Britain, the remaining Anglo-Saxon had created alehouses. So let's just say you're the guy on the block with all the good beer. Yep. You're this guy. This is ancient times. Mm-hmm. Your neighbors can't run to 7-Eleven or any local convenience store to pick up their favorite poison. They gotta come to you. Goddamn right. In time, everyone starts coming to you and coming to your home to drink. And as they drink, they start to talk. In time, everyone knows your house is the place to be. So when people need to discuss important topics of the day, plan events, organize, yada, yada, I mean, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. Your house becomes the meeting space. Uh-huh. It becomes a landmark. It becomes more of the public's house than even your own. Although I imagine at this point, you are charging your neighbors money to drink your beverages, so you're pretty okay with this development. I hope so. Yeah, you're you're making some dollars off of this, off of this little community organizing. Uh-huh. So with your domain becoming a public place, it's almost as revered as holy ground. Certain laws would become established, and fines implemented if anyone uprooted the peace of the community within this public house. Mm-hmm. You know, or pub. Mm-hmm. Evidence of these places, well, I mean, England was brewing beer since forever. Pubs yep. became a thing, you know, forever. I got dates in here, but I don't really care to talk about them. The point is, it's been like forever. Yep. Like, these things go all the way. They started brewing beer like 54 B.C., if not sooner. That's like the first evidence. So like that's forever, guys. Let's be honest here. I feel like that's something I should know, but I have no idea. Well, it's been I, a long time, though. And I guess pubs were a common place, like a fixture of society. 
since like the 10th century. But like that's a there's like a thousand. I mean, I mean, monks have been brewing yeah. forever. They're like known right. for so. Like, no, I mean you can mention about monks because they absolutely well like the dawn of time. I couldn't say how far back, but sure. I know hundreds of years. Like there's certain ones that they still have the same recipe. Yeah, and can you imagine how that tastes? It's the same. Yeah, I don't know a recipe perfected in 54 BC. I don't know. I guess how would that taste in my modern taste buds? I don't know. I've had one from uh, Germany. It was like Andex. Okay, and they've been around. I want to say since 1500s. But oh my god, I couldn't be certain off the top of my head. Sure. But I've had that. That's good. That's incredible. It'd be worth trying. Yeah. Ancient stuff. Mm-hmm. Ancient stuff in my mouth. Well, last date I mentioned, let's just say, I said 10th century, 54 BC. Well, let's just jump. Let's move right along. Yeah. Let's jump forward all the way to 1861. Okay. Well, the American Civil War is getting ready to rip a nation apart. Let's just stick with, you know, those people who used to own these rebellious colonies. Let's keep talking about the British Isles. Okay. Ralph Fremlin bought a brewery on Earl Street, Maidstone, in the United Kingdom. And he would do other things within Kent that involved brewing. Mm -hmm. In fact, he had even decimated a nearby pub to expand their brewery's operations. He also sold off all pubs that were owned by the brewery that he purchased um, after he made the purchase. And they totaled about ten. So he bought a brewery, mm-hmm. sold off these pubs. Ralph Fremlin did not believe in pubs. He knew they were real, though, right? He knew they were... <laughs> <laughs> Correct. He knew they existed. He did not appreciate what they were. Okay. <laughs> yes, he wasn't... He, he didn't believe in the philosophy behind them. No, yeah, exactly. But he did accept that they were Wait, a real thing on Earth. You see that pub over there? Yeah. No, that's not. I don't. I don't believe it. I don't see a pub anymore. I never did. I don't believe in. (laughs) Well, as a dedicated Christian, he felt public drinking encouraged all sorts of sins and debauchery. God, I hope so. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm. I'm sure he could just walk into any pub around. Fuck, even just the 1800s, be like, yeah. Well, it's a lot going on here. Don't know if I approve. He sounds like a fun guy to be around. Real cool. But keep in mind, he does he does like beer. But we're going to get into it a little bit. Gin was also becoming all the rage during this period. You know what a deep dive I could have taken? The history of gin and alcohol laws in England. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not going to subject you to it, but it was fun to look at. Okay. So I'm going to kind of sum it up in a very brief paragraph. Cool. Gin was also becoming all the rage during this period. And with pubs also catering to the gin crowd, this could help explain Ralph's aversion to pubs in general. I mean, I mean, if you pound go, and gin, yeah, if you go real, from pounding beers to pounding gin, yeah. woo! Yeah. Hey, how you doing? That's a different am, sort of a pub, probably. I used to be a human. Now I'm an animal. Look <laughs> at me rage. Yeah. Oh no! Please stop. Can you? Yeah. But, you need to tone it down. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, this isn't beer. No, sir, you're drinking gin. I've had seven of these. Me, I know. Give me another pint. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't aware that I we didn't have a no serve limit at this time, and I realize now, now in retrospect, that was a bad choice. <laughs> you shouldn't have had this many of a pint of gin. Jeez. Oh, oh god. Oh wow. In 1861, not even not no rocks, no nothing, just pure booze in your system. Mm-hmm. So anyways, perhaps that might have been why Ralph was not a fan of pubs at the time. Could be. But again, Ralph what? All right, Ralph did not believe in pubs, but he believed them to be morally bankrupt. 
Okay. Ralph hosted Bible classes for his employees, donated to local places of worship, and chaired the local school board. So he was a community man and enjoyed the church. Noble cause. Yeah. You do you. Yeah, exactly. But still, again, Ralph thought beer was good. I think so. During this time period, even the church thought it was cool for kids to drink low alcohol content beer. We know it was safer to drink than water in many cases. Yeah, I wonder, at what point did that stop being a thing? Weird, right? That's a good question. I like this query. Yeah. Because at some point, it's like, maybe like take more of the beer out of this, and let's just have, I don't know, as soon as like people start, were drinking, they noticed people were drinking water, and they weren't dying. Yeah. I don't But yeah. when was that? I don't know. God, that's a good question. I wish we would take that tangent right now. All right, right, we'll be back. Yeah, we'll get, to, <laughs> yeah, we'll get back to you on that. No. When did people decide overall water was okay to drink? I, I guess like it would water. vary region to region too. Yeah, but still. Well, because a lot of those beers that they were making back for that, uh, like I was looking up stuff the other day, like a mild ale is like one that's like two to three percent, which was like a traditional English oh beer. Huh. And it's it's like very light. It's so they could drink it all day while they were working. And I was like, this is a specific style right here. Like, <laughs> can we bring that back? Yeah. The beer you can drink all day at your job. Yeah. And just have fun. Mm-hmm. Imagine how many workplaces. Why am I been drinking water? Yeah, boring. Yeah. I got this ale. Yeah, what if I have some water that actually makes me feel a little bit happier and a little bit more... Productive? Productive. <laughs> Until it doesn't. <laughs> well, I, yeah, after those eight hours, how many of these have I had? <laughs> yeah. I have two beers for every hour. What? Now you're mm-hmm. just drinking like normal beers every hour. <laughs> just drinking two every hour at four, three to two percent, four percent beer. So it's a lower beer, modern beerish, one per hour. You, I mean, you're doing. You're fine. Hmm. I shouldn't talk about this when things are recording. But like, what if we played an experiment <laughs> of drink a beer every hour and see how? And I'll <laughs> report back. So how was that last day you shift? Well, I had to call somebody to take me home. <laughs> <laughs> But he went all right. I had to get a ride home. But yeah. But yeah, that, I, it's okay. I don't remember clocking out. Yeah, I could. I hope I did that. I'll have to adjust that later. I, you know, I felt better about myself. Yeah. Yeah. 4% beer an hour. I think you'd probably be fine. Well, I will never try that. Why not? I will never try oh, oh, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. neither. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I mean, no. No, no. Right. <laughs> Yeah, nope. Uh Uh-uh. But again, I'm talking about Ralph, and he's liking beer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Ralph still liked his beer, producing it, engineering it, bookkeeping for it. Like, he did all that stuff. He was all Mm hands-on. Mr. Fremlin. He did it all for the business. I said that weird. (laughs) I'm not going to say what it reminded me of. Not for the nookie, man. (laughs) I know. It's like, "Ah, I said that. That was a weird cadence I chose for that sentence. We just played a show on Friday, and uh, our our setups music. Yeah, we didn't pick it. Okay, so how did that go? They were just playing Limp <laughs> while we were getting ready to play. Did that motivate you or demotivate you? Uh, I was excited about it. Good. It felt weird though. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Like, cool, but like that's all, all right. I have to say about like, that. Okay, well here I am. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm on right. a stage right now, and Limp Biscuit is playing. I don't know how to feel about this. Man, the different lives, the different worlds we can live in at different times in our lives. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. here I am right now. Yep. All right. So Ralph liked his beer, and he was planning on selling it and making lots of dollars. Bet he was. 
But if he would not be supplying his beer to all the neighboring pubs, how would he get the masses to consume his delicious nectar? Any guesses? I'm just going to tell you. I'm trying to think of what brewery this could be. But I don't have any guesses. Okay, that's all right. But he utilized horse and cart. Okay. It's amazing how full circle the world has come Mm -hmm. to where like we used to get all these things delivered to us. And for some reason, we stopped because we want to go out and do things ourselves. Why, though? And now we're back to the same point of just having people send us things. Yeah. It's like Sears. Sears was Amazon. It was. Before Amazon. Absolutely. And then Sears died hard. Right. Because they they just couldn't couldn't go from magazine to the internet. Mm-hmm. If they would have done that, I mean, they just, right? Yeah. Yep. Too entrenched in their ways. No, none of that innovation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I used to love those Sears catalogs and all this shit. Mm-hmm. And then it was everything. everything. Yeah. I mean, it was Amazon 20 was. years ago. It was. 30 years ago? Oh, fuck. Yeah, probably 30. 30, but like two, like a hundred something. Right. Plus before that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it was usurped. Like, not quickly, but still quickly. Bizarre. Poor guys. Yeah. All right. Beer. Beer. Ralph liked his beer. And he believed it was easier to drink in moderation at your own house as opposed to a pub. Now, exactly why he believed this, I could not find out. So if you'd like to muse about, I did, but I would like you to. I don't know why that would be a thing. Because he believed... Maybe he was very susceptible to peer pressure. That's exactly one of the things I mentioned. Like maybe like he felt pubs, just the over environment. Like it's like, yeah, I'll have one more. I have another. What's this? Gin? Sure. I'll have five of those. Yeah. yeah oh keep, my God. Keep them coming. Yeah. Blow me up. Yeah. That's a weird thing though. I also thought maybe like if you're getting your beer delivered to you and let's say like you have like eight, like let's just say, let's go ridiculous. Let's say you had like 25 beers at your house. Mm-hmm. Well, either that's, I mean, that's a high number. To like pound in a night. Maybe he just but, makes an ass of himself in public. Maybe. We could evaluate this man's moral character. <laughs> maybe. And maybe that's... Yeah, we'll go on. Well, I'm just trying to think of why, why it would be any different. That's what he believed. He felt at home you'd be more... I mean, I don't know if you'd be more reserved at home. You think you just kind of go wild because like you're at your home, but maybe you won't show off for people. Maybe it is the peer pressure thing. Yeah. The social know. environment. Went up in each other, your bro being silly or being yeah, Meh. engaging. But he felt delivering beer to people's houses would, you know, cause people to be less drunk and would moderate their beer or maybe because they're not spending all this money. But do you think the money spending would moderate you in public? But I guess if you're drunk and you're getting to that point, you don't really care. Well, um, I think part of it is now when we drink in public, we typically have to journey home true and that was a different process back then right right because now. you'd hop on a horse and it would just go if you had a horse yeah, it, or you just wander yeah so that's true it could have something to do with that possibly that could be because you have to be responsible when you go out now in your home you can just be like whatever yeah. i'm not going anywhere <laughs> here i am yeah well mr frumlin delivered me these 25 beers this morning and i'm gonna drink them all and stay home and that's the end of my time tonight <laughs> <laughs> I'll wake up and do it again, and I don't see any of my friends. My family left me. This is all I do. Yeah. I'm in Britain. Britain, I talk like this. I don't know why. That's that was a weird accent I was choosing there. I don't, I don't even know what that was. And I was just I was like you know somebody who doesn't quite live in the south, so lives in the north, but he just talks weird. 
I've encountered a few of those people. Like, what are you? <laughs> I don't get what that accent is. Is that even an accent? Or are you just, you're just a weird talker. Just a weird talker. Just a weird talker. Those fucking weird talkers. Goddamn weird talkers. But that's what he believed for the moderation. Good. Fremlins was the first brewer in the United Kingdom to mass produce beer in bottles and jars. First guy, inaugural dude. Otherwise, you just have to go to the pub, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, and drink I it up. So. so he's like, which, I mean, as far as capitalism goes, this was a smart idea. It's pretty genius. Beer that can travel. Yep. His operation flourished, which such name stays as one of his big sellers was National Temperance Ale. So. What was the temperance movement? Wasn't that the one that did prohibition? Probably. He's all about moderation, and this is the 1860s, so like. Hmm. And England. Yeah, so, so it developed into uh, something right. totally different. Right. But like his his idea of moderation, like drink a beer and just like have fun. Don't be a dick. Don't be crazy. He may Quit have just, drinking that gin. He may have just hated the gin. Yeah. His bottling onslaught helped expand his brand further and faster than any other brand had done before. Okay. The company's logo was an elephant above the family crest and was displayed in glassware and bottles. He was also somewhat, didn't dive into how or why, because we're not doing that tonight, but he was also connected to the East India Company, so the elephant kind of helped you know, yeah. make mm-hmm. that all connected. Now, as early as 1865, Fremlin's Brewery carried with it a not-so-subtle secret. Amongst all the beer, bottles, and Bibles, the brewery contained something else. Okay. Well, maybe contained is inappropriate phrasing. Okay. Perhaps I should switch contain to, well, let's just say something else maybe dwelled within the brewery. Something else called it its home. Hmm. What was this? I don't know. Here's a good sentence. Ready? Oh, yeah. Lay it on me. All right. This, wasn't, this is what called the brewery its home. A biersel, which is a specific type of, of kobold. Oh, yeah? There you go. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, all right. What? All right. If you, I, I can break that down for a second. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know how we talked earlier um, in our previous episode how, whether it was on air or off air, doesn't matter. The point is, when compiling an episode, you could take a weird thing and like go off into a whole different... Absolutely. This is a part where I could have done that and I did not. But you'll mm. know how when I start getting into it. Okay. But a kobold is a small, ancient, Germanic creature that is often depicted as being the size of a small child. Mm-hmm. Although he can turn invisible and spends much of his time that way, it is not unusual for one to take the shape of an animal or fire, or sometimes as a candle, which I guess plays in that whole fire part. Mm-hmm. But again, they can take the form of a human, tiny human, mm-hmm. tiny, small, tiny human, and are usually portrayed as being in the shape, again, of a small child. The Brothers Grimm proposed one possible explanation for the name Kobolds. We're going to take a little journey through yeah. etymology. Mm-hmm. The word, the Latin word, Kobalus, which kind of goes into the Greek word Kobolos, but overall mm-hmm. it means rogue. Okay. The change to the word, final, old, or old, that's part of the German language, and adding on the uh, suffix, right, at the end. Olt is a feature of the German language used for monsters and supernatural beings. Really? That's just a thing. Huh. So I, if you were a monster, I could call you like Zach Olt. 
<laughs> and then it's like, oh yeah, monster stuff. Yeah. So All right. I'm just saying, anything you think of something, add alt to the end or old. It's a cool thing to have. Just being a part of your language. Yeah, monsters get this. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, what? Yeah, why does all most folklore come from Germany? What? They just got an, a suffix for monsters. Old. Sure. Now, there are three types of kobolds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. One is a water spirit and accompanies sailors on their boats. Okay. Period. I cut off that tangent. Yep. The second lives within the mines and frequently earns the ire of miners. Mm-hmm. Cut off that tangent. Mm-hmm. It is said that the name of the rock, Cobalt, comes from the word Cobalt. Cool mm-hmm. stuff, right? That's cool stuff yep. right there. And the third is a household spirit that lives within houses. And of these, there is an even more specific type of creature that lives within inns, pubs, and breweries. This really? is a Beersel. Beersel? Yeah. B-I-E-R-S-A-L. Huh. Beersel. Beersel. Mm-hmm. You get the idea. But that was me cutting that loop very short because yep. I could have had a lot of fun here. Oh, yeah. Because there's certain like kings and different storylines and oh, fairies. Uh... You've delved into dwarves and stuff, right? Yeah. I've also read about kobolds a little bit, Yes, too, because... Because they pop up. They... That was when I was doing what I'm doing here. There was a whole big like cracking of a window, and I could have fell into this whole new other world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, that's yep. all we're gonna deal with because we're dealing with this specific type for now." Okay. A beer soul. Good. We're focused. Uh huh. And that is what called Fremlin's Brewery its home. And this beer soul had a specific name, Robin Hodfellow. It's a good name. Yeah. Do you know about that a little bit? No. Okay. Cool. Old Robin, I also learned during my research that Robin actually used to be like a endearing tor- term or like a nickname for like Robert. Robin was as a, uh, Robert. As, okay. as opposed to Rob, like, like Rob. And eventually, of course, you get Rob and you get Bob. And, but it's just one of those, it's like Robin. Because hmm. I know at some point it's people would think it's like a female name usually, but not. Well, I just think Robin Hood when I hear Robin. I think that and I think Batman. Two basically too, simultaneously. Yeah. I know he's a bird, but like, yeah, I mean, come on, you know, whatever. Well, Robin Hodfellow. Old Robin loved working in the brewery. Oh, yeah, he did that, by the way, just for fun. Mm-hmm. That is when he wasn't riding his tiny magical elephant. <laughs> Wonderful. Cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> but Robin, will he be overjoyed to clean bottles, steins, casks, and kegs and make sure all the machinery was in working order? That is, as long as he was being paid a handsomely wage in his preferred currency, which I'm sure you could guess what he would prefer to be paid in. Beer? Beer. Yeah. Beer so? Beer? Huh. I don't know. Throwing that out there. Now, try to shortchange him, and he would tear shit apart. He wouldn't deal with your petty human excuses. If you didn't satisfy his thirst, then everything was going to fall apart. Machines would break. Tools would mysteriously vanish. They would become lost. Brewery, workers, and later, pub goers. This guy hates pubs. We'll get into that later. Or, do you know, I also learned something, T-I-L. Mm-hmm. Do you know what people are called who go to pubs? Patrons? Publicans. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. It does, right? Hmm. Again, things I just learned. If they keep going there? Are they, are they are free, free publicans? publicans? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <gasps> 
tiny magical elephants? Oh! Wait, did we just crack it open? Wait, what? Oh shit! We were shouldn't we, be. We, were we should in we English? not be recording this? Oh my god! <laughs> were we an English colony? And did they plan their stuff in pubs? Yep. And then they were. Dude, what hmm. did we just do right here? I don't know what we just did. <laughs> it's wild stuff right here. I don't really know what to make this of that. Is, this is not what I want to talk about. But now I don't want to talk about that at all. I'm I'm enraptured. I'm enamored. I'm infatuated. Republicans, because they kept going to the pubs in America. <laughs> what the? Uh, yeah, well, we shouldn't have stumbled on that. Fuck a republic. Yep. Oh, okay. I can't deal with this right now. I've. All right, we need to stay on topic. Finish Otherwise, this, this is going to wow. be a problem. Because we're going to go off. This on is a so many tangents. This is ah man. This is be a this would be a weird talk. This would be a weird episode of Weird and Feared. Sure would. Well, anyways, these brewery workers or publicans. As this this tale would develop, they would eventually distribute little dishes and jars throughout these establishments filled with booze to placate Robin's destructive tendencies. Okay. So imagine like this leaving out like a little water dish like a cat, but like mm-hmm. drink up. It's beer. Oh, this one this over here is this that's a gin if you want to have a good night tonight. Sleepy time. Well, yeah. His name, Robin Hodfellow, is a play on another creature, Robin Goodfellow. Okay. Otherwise known pretty plainly, simply, as A or the or just Puck. 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 Have you heard about Puck? Yes, I believe so. I figured he'd come up in other dabblings you've done. Isn't he, uh, well, I'll just let you get into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By all accounts, a very similar entity, which makes their association all the more logical, as the agent stories of Goodfellow clearly fueled the stories of Hodfellow. More so because sometimes the Rob part would kind of get morphed into Hob, and Goodfellow, I mean, into the word Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just looking up how words come to be, it's like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. Oh, I learned something. Republicans. I'm not all right. Yeah, if, that's a weird thing. Mm, yeah. All right. Well, if Puck favored you, he'd do cool stuff. Like preci- cool stuff. Oh, oh, I'm glad you asked. I think I might <laughs> just tell you. <laughs> that's yeah. a good question. I want to know how cool this guy is. Yeah, well, he likes to do very precise fine needlework. Oh. Or even churn your butter, if you know what I mean. Hmm. <laughs> I think hey, I prefer the needlework. No, he'd make you butter. He just yeah, what I don't know what else we'd be thinking about. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Right. Hey, Puck, you kind of churn my butter? <laughs> hey, right, come on. <laughs> Can yeah. we not call it that yeah. anymore? Do you like how this is churning for you? Puck, what? All right, now you don't talk to me as you churn my butter. I like the needlework better, buddy. If Puck's if Puck's feeling really insulting as he churns his butter, he calls it needlework. Oh, no. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> this, is some, this is some fine needlework. That's just insulting, Puck. <laughs> Get out of here. I didn't even yeah, want you over I'm just here. just churning your fine little needle. All right, Puck. This is pass. Mm-mm. Well, wrong him or annoy him, and he'd just as quickly ruin everything. All right, let's have what I will call fun with medieval English. Yeah. Yeah. Shakespeare used Puck as Robin Goodfellow in his play Midsummer's Night's Dream in the 1500s. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yep, that's mm-hmm. him. He's the guy. And presents him as an envoy of sorts for the fairy king Oberon. 
Guess what I didn't do here? Didn't get into that whole play in his fairy kingdoms. Because mm-hmm. I could have. Yep. I'm going to throw you some stuff from that, but not a lot. And actually, probably just a sentence. One of his fairies said, quote, <laughs> All right. That hobgoblin call you and sweet puck. You do their work and they shall have good luck. Some believe Shakespeare also had access to the Spanish Mandeville of Miracles or the Garden of Curious Flowers, a translation of Antonio de Torquemada's Jardin Flores Curiosas and use whatever, man. It's the Spanish Mandeville. Another transcript. I don't know. I blacked out when you were Discusses, so did I. <laughs> discusses mischievous spirits. Okay. All right. These are characters from this transcript. So it's just quotes, but... It sums up the kind of this whole concept. So okay. I don't think it'll be too long. And the point is I'm about to punish myself. Cool. So <laughs> I like it when you punish yourself. <laughs> All right. Ludovico. What? Yeah, that's a name. I pray you let me somewhat understand your opinion as concerning Robin Goodfellows and Hobgoblins, which are said to be so common that there is scarcely any man but will tell you one tale or other of them, of which for my own part I believe none, but do make reckoning that every man forgeth herein what pleaseth him. Or pleaseth him. Sure. Pleaseth Mm -hmm. him is probably what we want to say. Mm -hmm. All right, another character, Antonio. Many of them without doubt are forged, and many also true. For these kinds of spirits are more familiar and domestical. Then you miss that word. You wish that was a useful word in English language now? Domestical. Domestical. Mm -hmm. How are your domesticals doing? Mm -hmm. Fine. What are they? Yeah, okay. Then the others. And for some causes to us unknown abide in one place more than in another. So that some never almost apart from some particular houses as though they were their proper mansions, making in them sundry noises, rumors, mockeries, gaudies or gods and jests without doing any harm at all. This is all one sentence, by the way. There's no period. (laughs) But he's describing probably, you know, their, their trickster nature. Mm-hmm. Without doing any harm at all, and although I am not myself witness thereof, yet I have heard many persons of credit affirm that they have heard them play, as it were, and jig turns and Jews harps and ring bells, and that they answer to those that call them and speak with certain signs, laughters, and merry gestures, so that those of the house come at last to be so familiar and well acquainted with them that they fear them not at all. But in truth, as I said before, if they had free power to put in practice their malicious desire, we should find these pranks of theirs not to be jests, but earnest indeed, tending to the destruction of both our body and soul. But as I told you before, this power of theirs is so restrained and tied that they can pass no farther than to jests and gods, and if they do any harm or hurt at all, it is certain very little, as by experience we daily see. So talking like that had to be a chore back then. Everything just takes so long to say. So yeah, you could have just said that. Yeah, they're annoying. (laughs) Exactly. And like they try, they want to do worse to us, but like they can't because they're kind of tiny. Yeah. But I mean, so like, all right, say well, even just like something you're preparing for weird and feared or whatever, or just any writing in general, like you write a first draft Mm -hmm. then you edit it. Mm-hmm. And you simplify. You find more precise ways to say it. That's like the entire history of the English language. Mm-hmm. We started with this giant like jibber jabber, and it's like, well, then we woke up the next day, and like we we re- read it, and like, well, we don't need that. We don't need that. Yeah, these are too many letters. This doesn't make sense. Chop yeah. chop. 
Chop, chop. And then eventually we're just all going to be speaking emojis anyway, so I don't know where we go from here, but mm-hmm. all right, we'll get there. All right. According to Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, this is from 1898. Robin Goodfellow is a drudging fiend and merry domestic fairy, famous for mischievous pranks and practical jokes. At nighttime, he will sometimes do little services for the family over which he presides. The Scots call this domestic spirit a brownie, the Germans kobold, or necked ruprecht. Scandinavians call it a nisi gadreng. Puck, the gesture of fairy court, is the same. Then, of course, eventually, like everything pagan, eventually Christians would just use Robin Goodfeller as a reference to Satan himself. Oh. I mean, everything. <laughs> yeah. What is it? Not of Christ. Satan. Devil. Yep. Well, he's not that bad. No. Yeah, he's devil. All right. Continuing on, let's introduce another human character. And I referenced a bunch of writers, even referenced Shakespeare. Another mm-hmm. prominent writer, Roald Dahl, was born on September 13th, 1916. Mm-hmm. Let's jump ahead. By August 1939, Roald was serving as lieutenant in Africa, commanding a platoon of Iskari men, which were indigenous troops within the British Army. Okay. Now you can see we're kind of inching close to a major world event. But let's keep moving our story forward in time again, continuing on to 1939, when the United Kingdom declared war on Nazi Germany after the invasion of Poland. I've heard of that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've heard a few stories. Yep. The Second World War now raged across the globe. In November of 1939, Roald Dahl joined the Royal Air Force and eventually became a fighter pilot by August 1940. He had been accepted for flight training with 16 other men. But over the course of the war, only three of these men would go on to survive it. Hmm. That's not to say the war didn't try and come close to taking Roald's life. He was running low on fuel and forced to make an emergency landing as night was creeping in. But as he made his descent, a boulder sheared the bottom half of his plane, forcing him to crash. Mm -hmm. A crash that fractured his skull, broke his nose, and induced a temporary blindness. But the blindness would go on for like weeks, maybe months. This wasn't wasn't a cool thing. No, it doesn't sound fun. Well, at the time of the crash, he was able to pull himself free from the flaming rubble before passing out. That's good. Turns out he couldn't find the airstrip he was looking for because he was mistakenly sent to the no-man's land between Allied and Italian forces. Whoops! Whoops. Uh-oh. Thanks, everybody. This is in Africa? Uh, probably was, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, probably. Italy, Allied, Britain. I would think so. Yeah, well, anyway. Again, again. Continue on. Yes. Uh, again, I could have. Anyways, Roald Dahl is a very fascinating man. Yep. He's a lot of cool stuff. He writes some cool stuff, too. We're going to get to some of that. Mm -hmm. Dahl would eventually heal and return to active duty and flying. He would continue going on, again, how I could have won this giant loop, but I'm cutting it short. Mm -hmm. He would continue going on what I... hmm, I'll keep that in, but he would continue going on what I will call incredible missions before blackouts and headaches forced him to be invalided. Invalided, however you pronounce that word, whatever it means. But basically, you know, that means he's... He's taken out. Yep. Dahl would go on to write such masterpieces, of course, as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Batilda, James and the Giant Peach, The Witches, Fantastic Mr. Fox, The BFG, The Twits, and George's Marvelous Medicine. You can... Oh, go on. 
I honestly didn't know he wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He did. Huh. Yep. So he's what? He's an important man. Why did I not know that? I knew all the other ones. Because he's such a prolific maniac. Yeah. Like those are all big things. Yeah, huge. They're all big deals. You can get lost in the life of doll. I did. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to keep talking about him. Yeah. I had to cut myself off. But it's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Post-war stuff. I mean, Washington stuff when he came to America. He's an important man. Yep. By the time he was out of the RAF, he was a squadron leader and deemed a flying ace. The man was a badass. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite types of stories that come out of even World War One and World War Two. Is like the guys that came home and were writers and artists, because mm-hmm. those guys, huh? Because they're able to, you know, philosophize or just construct stories. Like I mean, Lord of the Rings, man. These the things people are able to put the pen to paper, but make it more than it was. And right, let's uh, give those guys credit. Yeah. Because I'm not insulting like just your average grunt or soldier, but like these guys were those and they came home and had fucking thoughts. Yeah. Which is always very cool to me. Mm-hmm. Now, but I mentioned him for a reason. Dahl had lived in Kent for 10 years from the age of 13 with his family. Around all these breweries. Which means he would have been especially familiar with a certain local legend of mm-hmm. a Mr. Hotfellow okay. mm-hmm. that infatuated these breweries. Now, but to add on to that even further and strengthen the connection beyond Dahl himself, men within the Royal Air Force enjoyed a good Fremlin beer, and by this point, the company's aversion to pubs had long been ignored. And I could even read you a quick little thing here. Give me one brief moment. Mm-hmm. All right, so Fremlin Brewery, how we doing? We're going to check on, the, on with this place for a little bit. Right. All right. Um, Ralph Fremlin, our good buddy. He passed away in 1910. Uh-huh. And afterwards, the brewery was run by his brother. His name, okay. was, his name was Richard, but he died five years later. Bummer. So following World War I, I'm basically just telling you why this anti-pub policy was eradicated. Okay. Well, the main guy who was against it is no longer with the company because he has, of course, passed away. Right. So we they had to change company policy, so they invented a private limited company. Fremlin Brothers Limited was formed in 1920. And then, you know how they had initially sold off pubs? Well, we started to buy them up again because we had lots of money. Our cans and bottles were kicking ass. Mm-hmm. So he bought up, so they bought up the company, bought up smaller breweries around Kent, Harris Brown Brewery in Barnett, Adams Brewery in Halstead, Essex, Fremlin's had become Kent's largest brewery by the mid-20th century, having acquired around 800 pubs and other licensed premises. So Fremlin's was kicking ass. Mm -hmm. So jump back to World War II, mid-20th century, and again, expanding the connection to this legend beyond Dahl himself. Men within the Royal Air Force enjoyed a good Fremlin beer. And of course, like I said before, I gave you a little history, a little catching up on the Fremlin Brewing Company. Um, by this point, the company's aversion to pubs had been long ignored. Through this brand, they became acquainted with the stories, and by they, I mean the Royal Air Force guys, the military men. They became acquainted with the stories of little creatures that would cause mayhem within the beer's breweries if these little creatures didn't get their way. Soon, the airmen began attributing problems, glitches, and shortcomings with their aircraft to these mischievous spirits. Uh-huh. It was better for morale to laugh and blame some unforeseen scoundrel than to accuse your fellow servicemen of not doing his job properly or making a mistake. 
through an association with the Brothers Grimm and the retelling of fairy tales, along with the brothers' names being synonymous with the supernatural and combining that with the name of Fremlin Beer, the term Gremlin was born. Uh-huh. Whew. Gremlins. Gremlins. And now... Instead of haunting cellars and breweries, they plagued pilots in the sky. At first, the Allies assumed the Gremlins were working at behest of the Axis powers. But as they learned more of the Axis powers' own plane troubles, they realized that the Gremlins were equal opportunity vandals. The tricksters spared no expense at causing grief to either side in the war. Because when you're trying to save civilization, or I guess trying to conquer it, who doesn't want to deal with tiny... Spiked back creatures with evil claws and giant eyes gnawing away at your weapons of the air. Mm-hmm. So, the Gremlins caricature has escalated to a more devious creature. Mr. Goodfeller, Hoodfeller, those guys, sprites, fairies, a little more human-esque, a little tiny, mm-hmm. trolly, dwarvesy, right. getting a little more monstrous, a little more sinister. Now, the concepts of Gremlins would have remained... RAF lore without the popularization by Roald Dahl, who in tandem with Walt Disney illustrators realized a book. Created a book. I don't know why Kirk did realize. The point is they made a book called The Gremlins Mm -hmm. in preparations for an animated film that due to weird rights issues and script approval from the British Air Ministry, like they took a certain interest in the book because of course... They were, I mean, in the, not the book. The book was made, mm-hmm. but the animated movie that would come out, they wanted like script controls because like the British military was probably going to be portrayed in it, I assume, and they wanted to have certain things, and yeah. that just made a level of bureaucracy very difficult. The hmm. animated movie never came to be, but the book did come out, and they, a bunch of illustrated characters were made in the book because they were getting ready to make a film. Mm-hmm. So the Disney hype machine promoted the book and its concepts. And this permeated the belief or idea or concept of gremlins beyond the military, beyond the Air Force, beyond the services, into popular culture. Eleanor Roosevelt had a copy of the book and enjoyed reading it to her grandchildren. So this is what pushed gremlins into the popular lore. Okay. This book. And it was um, Roald Dahl's first actual book. His first book. It was his first book. He had published things. He had published write-ups. Um about his air crash in like magazines and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this was like the first, his first book. Okay. And he soon realized, well, don't get my animated movie. It's just, hmm. just this book. Mm-hmm. But we know he went on to do okay. Yeah. He went, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, he's fine. fine. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a little about this book. Okay. The story chronicles a British pilot named Gus, whose plane was destroyed by a gremlin over the English channel. And Gus and the Gremlins were parachuting to safety. So I imagine, you know, I don't have a copy of this book. (laughs) I could get one, and I probably will, because it's hard to find even, like, copies of his illustrations, and we'll get into this book's rarity, too. But as Gus and the Gremlins parachute to safety, Gus is able to convince the Gremlins to join the Allies and fight against the evils of Hitler and Nazi Germany. Perfect. So I imagine this conversation being awesome. Mm-hmm. It delves into gremlin lore and that baby gremlins are called widgets and that women gremlins are called fifinellas. We're having fun. I mean, all I can think now is the mm. gremlins from 
the movie Gremlins. Good, because you should Nazis, be. You should and be. And it sounds incredible. Because I did. And because you mentioned that, I'm going to tell you a little thought experiment I had that I did not include because I didn't know how long we'd be doing. Okay. But I will mention this when we get toward the end. Okay. But absolutely, picture those fuckers battling Nazis. Yeah. Picture those guys doing anything during World War II yep. and how scary that is. It would be amazing. Okay, so good. I want that visual in your head. But yeah, Fifinellas, they were named after a winning racehorse the year girl was born. So just, you know, pulling from things. Just, yeah. Girl, girl grumblings, Fifinellas. Okay. You find Fifinellas. Don't call a human woman that. I don't know if she'd like that. It sounds nice, though. It doesn't sound horrible. But she wouldn't know you're calling her a female gremlin. Ah, you (laughs) little Fifinella. Yeah. Oh, is that a sweet term for me? Sure it is. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's fine. Now, the book... Has only it was only released once back in the 1940s, and it has it had um, only been re-released um, commemorating the 60th anniversary of the United States Air Force, and I guess it was given to United States Air Force um, members. And there might have been another limited release mixed in with this, maybe just not the U.S. guys, but it's only been released like two times. So I've seen copies of this book that have been like from like thrift stores with missing their jackets for like $25. And I've seen versions, original copies in pristine conditions on eBay. People trying to sell them for like a thousand dollars. Damn. So there's quite a range for this book. I would just be interested in the story itself because I want to watch a man convince gremlins about Nazis. Cause that sounds fun. Yeah. Yep. It sure does. Okay. But gremlins and popular culture go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. There was a, I was thinking when they were talking about an animated movie, the first thing that came to my mind was an animated Bugs Bunny short, which I have seen, called The Falling Hair, where Bugs Bunny battles a gremlin. Not familiar with that one. It's, I would have had it queued up to play for you, but I mean, it's a lot of 19, a lot of, a lot of Bugs Bunny getting hit and flying and falling out of airplanes, and then, I mean, you can imagine yeah. what it looks like. The little mm-hmm. gremlin's design, like he's got like an airplane head and... He doesn't look as cool, as scary as you'd like, but I mean, I understand. Mm-hmm. And I, I meant to look up the name of this episode, but there's that infamous Twilight Zone episode where William Shatner's character is deemed insane for claiming to witness a gremlin tear at the wing of the airplane he is traveling in. Mm-hmm. And most famously, there's a Steven Spielberg film where the excessive indulgences of these monsters after midnight turns them into brutal creatures of consumption. Mm-hmm. Appropriate that one of the most extravagant scenes of that film involves a gremlin smoking and drinking. Inside of a bar. See, all I could think of is that and him just shooting a machine gun at uh-huh. Nazis. Yeah, mix a, little, mix a little of that in with Inglorious Bastards, Quentin Tarantino. I want that movie. There you go. I would watch the shit out of that movie. Author and historian Marlon Bressy stated, quote, Gremlins, while imaginary, that's what he says. Debatable. Mm. We talk a lot about science here, so I'm going to say, hmm. Mm-hmm. Played a very important role to the airmen of the Royal Air Force. Gremlin tales helped build morale among pilots, which in turn helped them repel the Luftwaffe. Did I say it right? Fuck me. Luftwaffe? Yeah. Yeah, okay, sure. fine. Germans in planes. Yeah. Bad guys in planes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Invasion. Luftwaffe. Yeah, I've heard it a million times. Man, come on. Invasion during the Battle of Britain during the summer of 1940. The war may have had a very different outcome if the RAF pilots had lost their morale and allowed Germany's plans for Operation Sea Lion, which was the planned invasion of the United Kingdom, to develop. In a way, it could be argued that gremlins, troublesome as they were, ultimately helped the Allies win the war. Mm -hmm. Now, my thought experiment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Them battling Nazis. Yep. Okay. Now, whether 
pick whatever front of the war you'd like. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Pacific, the Europe, Africa. The point is, I want an island. Okay. Okay. There's one gremlin. Mm-hmm. Picture the most terrifying gremlin from either one of those two movies with like goggles on, smashing a window, going, ah! Mm-hmm. Like a crazy fucking maniac, okay? American pilot, just because he'll be a man. Or he could be British, that's fine. Allied, obviously. Mm-hmm. Looks over. So it kind of plays in the Gus story. But he looks over and sees his fucking maniac just tearing his shit out of his plane. Mm-hmm. There's air battles going on. And I was thinking Pacific because it's easier to get islands. But let's just say, you know, yeah. a remote area, there needs to be water. Okay. You know why there needs to be water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The mm. plane goes down. It crashes in the fucking water. Don't I get them wet. I picture an Don't island. feed them after midnight. I picture an island. <laughs> and those creatures, that gremlin falls in the water. Well, he's in the water. Mm-hmm. So he makes a gremlin. It makes just another gremlin. Nonstop. And another gremlins. gremlin. And another gremlin. And then I imagine either there's a battle going on in this remote area. There's an island war. Like if it's the Pacific, it's of course Japan and America. But just picture something where the Axis and the Allies are both on this island and somehow they're stranded. And, all and this island, army of gremlins This island appears? is overrun by gremlins. Uh-huh. So you can have, so then, and then they're furry and they're cute. And of course, eventually you fucking feed yeah, them. They're mogwai. Exactly, a hundred percent. And then this becomes an all-out Armageddon type war on this island, where like the Allied and Axis powers have to work together to battle the fucking gremlins. And then they realize like shit's getting real. We're all humans in the end. This war is this war is above us, and they're battling fucking gremlins on this island. And because it takes place in the forties, is this all of a sudden a gremlin prequel? Is this where is this where Gizmo is born or someone? Who would give birth to Gizmo comes from? Well, he ends up Perhaps. in like a Japanese uh, like shop. So. so you want to pick the Pacific, huh? Yeah, That's probably the Pacific better connection. Yeah. So right. I had this epiphany. I'm like, oh my God, this is fucking incredible. Because <laughs> you can make as many crazy gremlins as you want. You can kind of, you can, and because the actual gremlin movies don't deal much with like the military and the aircraft and stuff. But if you throw this as a prequel movie, it all <laughs> fits and it's all amazing. Yeah. And it makes me very happy. That's cool. Yeah, one gets shoved into a paper shredder at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, imagine just like, so then it almost becomes like Predator, where like they're in the woods battling these gremlins. And what kind of bases are there cities around? Is this the Philippines? I don't know. Do we have a gremlin war in the Philippines? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe this all happened. But. And Spielberg was trying to spill the beans on it. I just think, I always hate the fact that the gremlins are only two movies. Yeah, they're incredible. So if this was a third one, I think it'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I think I'd like that a lot. I would. I'd be into that. But hey, I want to talk gremlins today. So here we are, gremlin talk. Yep. Again, how I mentioned earlier in this episode, the evolution of like a name and stuff, and legends and stuff, and mm-hmm. everything ties into this. All this leads to eventually like an octopus. An octopus, hilarious. <laughs> a uh, thing about the island. Um, a spider gremlin, gremlin with the gun. I mean, the second gremlins is amazing. It's such a wild time. It's it's madness town. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's like, what if we? What if the second movie in a franchise we pretend it's like we have no more ideas and it's the eighth movie? It's just straight to crazy town. There's no gradual progression. I think Gremlins Two may have been the reason that I got into loving campy, ridiculous horror movies. I remember being a small child watching it. 
the TV version at my grandma's house and uh -huh. being totally floored. Like, this is fucking amazing. Yep. Because the first Gremlins as a kid I thought was kind of scary because it's mm -hmm. horrifying. But when I saw the second one, I was like, yeah, I'm into this. This yep. is wild. Yeah, I remember watching the second one at a slumber party. Perfect movie for that. And you're uh, you watching on VHS back then. Yes. And there's a part in it where it just cuts to static, like white static. Okay. And it makes, you know, VHS are terrible. Right, that bad. So you think it's you think something went wrong, uh huh? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> hand puppets appear on the the screen, <laughs> and it's just supposed to be gremlins inside your TV doing hand puppets. <sighs> and that's the thing that's in that movie. I love that movie, and it's incredible. <laughs> it's very good. It's so dumb. Have you seen the Key and Peele sketch about that? No, I have not. All right, we'll watch it after this. Okay. But gremlins, amazing, incredible, fun stuff. Yep. God. Loved it. But when I, Fremlin, Gremlin, oh, what? Mm-hmm. It was one woman made that connection like her encyclopedia, which is linked to on Wikipedia, where a lot of that stuff um, was compiled from. And like, yeah, Grem, Gremlins, mm -hmm. Gremlin, beer. Ties in breweries, beer. Mm -hmm. Of course, you were on my mind. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. what kind of house spirits are running around? Anyways. If you got tales of house spirits, you know how to contact us at weirdandfreepodcast at gmail.com and all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, especially, and that Patreon to support the show. So yeah. have a beer. Think have of, a beer. Think of gremlins. Worry about the gremlins. And stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay <laughs> spooky.